Oh, nice. It's locked. That's what I'm talking about. Ten Point is blocked. And he throws intercepted. The pick by Terrence Brooks. Low snap. And Gabbard has to fall on it That's in the end zone. And it is a safety. Mills to Collins. And Nico Collins barrels in for the touchdown. Phillips again. Third straight carry. Another opening. Phillips with a stiff arm at the end of the run. The ball stripped out of the hands of Kyle Trask. And the Texans get another takeaway. The end zone. Oh, he fits it into VC for the touchdown. Trask under pressure. Down he goes. Vincent Taylor leading the chalk. Sins get a special teams play and looking for room down the sidelines to the 30-yard line. And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast talking your Houston Texans straight from the Great British Isles. And the preseason is in the books. We're on to the real stuff and have been joined by one of the newer members of the Houston media. Um, probably winning the crown for best hate, I'd say, um, and some great new articles as well coming out. Uh, I'm delighted to be joined by the Houston Chronicles' Brooks Cabina. Brooks, how you doing? Doing great, man. Good to talk with you. Yeah, no, thanks for the time. Um, it's all been happening today, I suppose. Um, but do you want to let us know a little bit about yourself? And um, you were covering SEC football before um, when LSU, but a Houston guy. How did uh, working at the Chronicle come about? Yeah, uh, I actually grew up here in Houston, um, about 20 minutes from the stadium here in a, a suburb called Clear Lake. Uh, started out uh, going out to games out here and, you know, uh, grew up a fan of all these teams. And then, uh, you know, whenever I started uh, getting into journalism in high school, worked for the community newspapers out here, which basically are weeklies, uh, writing about high school stuff. And then uh, went to Texas uh, University here and um, started the career, went to the Beaumont Enterprise, which is in East Texas, covering high school sports and such, and like alligator uh, stuff mm-hmm. too, rodeos and fishing. Uh, it was a blast. And then uh, to Little Rock, uh, where I covered um, small college football. There's a school, Arkansas State, that plays in Division One, um, And then after that, um, went to cover LSU for the advocate and the times Picayune in Baton Rouge in Louisiana, which, you know, right now is getting hit with another hurricane, which is quite often the case every year out there. Um, But LSU was, um, you know, it was one of the um, best teams I'd ever gotten to cover, Uh, you know, 2018 to 2019 Um, in 2019, they won the national championship and, um, I consider them the best college football team in history uh, for a lot of the things that they did, winning awards, the Heisman Trophy and Joe Burrow and winning the national championship and beating uh, the competition that they had throughout the year was really an unprecedented thing in college football. And then they dropped off in 2020. A lot of players left. The pandemic happened. Um, Lots of things happened uh, on campus and off the field as well with the team. Um, And then, uh, here in Houston, uh, the job became available, and I uh, applied for that, and I wanted to come back home and 
um, you know, cover an NFL team. Uh, this is a team I'd always had my eye on and, and a newspaper I always wanted to work for. Uh, so getting a chance to come in here and it is an interesting situation. It's a team that's expected to struggle, um, but it's a team that's, uh, you know, rebuilding here. New general manager, a new head coach uh, coming into this before they cut down the roster. There were 53 new players that they were choosing from uh, out of a total of about 90 going into training camp. So from here on, uh, the struggles that they had last year, they're building on. And uh, it'll be interesting to see from the ground up how this team uh, builds itself in the years to come. Yeah, when you were, I suppose, when you cover a team that's kind of, you know, seven days a week, pretty much 12 weeks a year now, yeah. particularly with NFL, how much did you kind of, how much did you kind of realize the, the issues of the last sort of two years and how we've kind of got to this point this year when you were work, working on other teams? Did you did you fully appreciate that or or has your understanding of where this team is, has been and got to uh, change since you've seen, like, being in the building every day at training camp and things like that? Yeah, well, um, you know, this it's kind of ironic, right? We're, we're on a podcast here called Turn Up For What. That was like whenever I left Houston, you know, this is this is where – uh, the face of the franchise is drafted and, you know, they're moving into the playoffs and, you know, I'm in the press box here and you can see the banners out on the field of how many division titles they won on the past decade. Um, and that's where things were while I was, you know, gone. And then I come back here to the job and last year, um, an immense struggle, uh, mostly defensively with this team. Um, and now um, the team now no longer, is expected to ever have their franchise quarterback again and Deshaun Watson, who's facing some serious allegations, 22 civil lawsuits of sexual assault. Um, and that is still not resolved either in the civil cases or in the criminal cases here in town or the NFL investigation that's going on. And today that was kind of the big uh, question was, was Deshaun Watson going to be part of the 53 man roster? Um, and he, in fact, is, which means Nick Casario, the first year general manager, has to navigate through that where he thought he might have had an extra spot to work with if he was put on the exempt list. But those exempt lists, uh, there are criteria there uh, that players need to be on. You have to be charged with a crime, which Watson has not. The NFL investigation has to uh, present Roger Goodell, the commissioner, with enough evidence for him to feel that the policy within the NFL has been violated, which the investigation is still going. As of a couple of weeks ago, uh, 10 of the 22 uh, women who have uh, filed civil lawsuits interviewed with the league, and that's still going to continue. And uh, thirdly, in that criteria, uh, there's some flexibility for Goodell to put someone on the exempt list if, uh, if, if there is a, a crime of violence committed. And even if the investigations aren't done, he can put someone there temporarily. Why he hasn't done that, the NFL hasn't offered an exp explanation to that. I talked to David Coley today about that and wondered, all right, did you expect that Watson would be put on there? Um, and he said that they haven't had any conversations with the league. Um, just one of the things that I was gleaning from it, you, you look at the exempt list, uh, the players that have been placed on it recently are people who have been char um, charged or accused of, uh, of violent crimes. Um, and over the most recent ones, there's been some criticism about the list because um, it, some feel that whenever a team places, whenever someone gets placed on that list, the team gets to hold on to that player without any penalty. Um, and they feel um, the criticisms are that 
a person should not be kept on a team um, and there should be, you know, some uh, penalties for keeping that person on the team. So in Deshaun Watson's case, the Texans aren't going to release him. That wouldn't make much sense for them as they're trying to get something back uh, for what they believe is, a, uh, you know, what we've seen to be an exceptional football player. And no other team is going to trade for him whenever they have all of these allegations that are still going through the investigative system. So this is going to continue for several more months, if not into uh, next year. Um, and that means Watson's going to take up a spot on this roster. It's a funny predicament, I suppose, because you you probably knew most of this offseason that he would be on the roster in some form because the, the, the sort of clunky way in which the league kind of seemed to go about the, the disciplinary process, it follows no rhyme, no reason. It seems to vary from player to player, case to case. And yeah, you've kind of got a position where effectively the Texans are disadvantaged, per- perhaps through no fault of their own. Um, and it's it's a strange situation. I suppose, I mean, it's 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 plausible that you've got a case whereby going on his career history, um, that Tyrod Taylor picks up an injury um, and he's, he might be asked to suit up or or, or face, you know, uh, face potential fines and guarantee loss, et cetera. But it's, it's quite a situation and it seems to never quite find the next chapter it seems to be in limbo i think i suppose it keeps it interesting right but it's uh it's a strange one yeah well i i talked with a, a couple of people today um people in town who have worked with um civil lawsuits like this before um and just to gauge a timeline of how this goes and things like this can take several months they could take several years um to resolve so um, you know, we'll see how that ends up with the NFL's own investigation. But if, if, if Tyrod Taylor, and you're right, like the last two starting jobs that he had with the Browns and the Chargers, he both got passed up because of injuries in those cases. Um, if that happens with Tyrod this year, uh, they've already picked who they think might become their next franchise quarterback, a third round pick in Davis Mills. And I've written about him a couple of times already, this training camp, and he is probably the most interesting person on this roster. I say in a football sense, interesting on this roster, because depending on what he does and how he progresses throughout the year is going to tell Nick Casario whether he has to spend a first rounder on a quarterback next year. And the Texans are likely to have a top five pick next year. Um, does he have to pursue one or can they go and get something else, a pass rusher or, or someone in the secondary to help? Um, it's, it's going to be a big thing throughout this year to see where Mills is at. Um, and Mills was a third rounder out of Stanford. And I, I think uh, it's, it's good context to show that when he was coming out of high school, he was the number one rated quarterback recruit in the country. Uh, Alabama wanted him every Every university wanted him. Uh, he suffered a knee injury going into college and he decided to go to Stanford. He missed a couple of those years uh, with two uh, knee injuries there and then uh, was fully healthy. And last year, whenever the pandemic hit, uh, the Pac-12, uh, the conference in which Stanford plays out in the West, uh, they initially canceled their football season. And it wasn't until a month or two in that they decided that they were going to come back and a lot of teams weren't prepared for this. A lot of players weren't prepared for this. So Mills goes in and he plays in a limited season and a pandemic season and uh, decides to go to the NFL afterward. Now, I'm of the opinion that if Mills had a full season and if he came back for another year, that he would 
be selected higher than he was in the third round. He's got all of the tools that you can see in a prototypical quarterback. He's got the size. He's got the arm. He's got the awareness. But he's made a lot of rookie mistakes within training camp, which is ex- expected. But uh, you see some of that potential. He, he's very good throwing on the run. He's accurate throwing down the sideline in those tough, difficult passes. The things that he needs to work on, you've seen, have been more decision-making, um, you know, not forcing balls uh, in spots where he feels like he can make them. Uh, we've seen a couple of interceptions that way for him, but uh, there's still a lot of potential for him. And if Tyrod Taylor does get hurt again, it's going to be Mills. And in some ways for the long-term um, success of the team, that might give them a great evaluation of a player that allows them to decide what they have to do um, personnel-wise in the draft next year. Yeah, and I suppose some people might kind of be unsure of that, um, obviously coming off a four-pick performance on Saturday night. Have you seen yeah. more in training camp than you have necessarily in the preseason games to show there's a maturation curve there? Because I think he's his, he's got some... I mean, he threw some terrible balls, right? Especially those outs, didn't get the right angle on it, uh, left it inside, always, always susceptible to to get picked um, and, he, and he tends to miss easy throws and, or, he, or he kind of gets gets a bit lazy with his eyes at times and, and, and it can be a good thing because I think one of his strengths is he gets the ball out quick but at times he tries to fit it into windows that maybe aren't there or, or doesn't let the play develop so have you seen more in the in, in the in the in the practice uh, sessions and the, the seven on sevens etc um, than you have in the game because I think the games have kind of wobbled around the, the line where it needs to be because based on those alone I think that maybe people would be of the opinion that you maybe can't play him this year because he's not ready unless you know ultimate emergency yeah uh, you know in practices um, at least to start in training camp it was a struggle for Mills uh, there was one um, seven on seven drill in the red zone where he threw I think four or five interceptions in one drill in one day and um you know, a lot can be said around that and say, oh, this guy's struggling, always making bad decisions. You know, in these seven-on-seven drills, you're going you're gonna to throw the ball. You're not just going to, like, tuck it and run. That doesn't make – you have to throw the ball in these situations. So, um, you know, it, it was it was actually in the preseason games, I think, uh, especially in the second one against the Dallas Cowboys, that he showed his most – potential um, than he did in practices like leading up to that week against the Cowboys. He had, he had his best series of practices, making good decisions, some good throws. Um, But it was against the Cowboys that I think you saw what you might see from him if he were to appear in a regular season game, Um, making good decisions, not forcing the ball. Um, You know, and there was even a throw, I think that kind of shows the full potential for him that happened in Green Bay. It wasn't even caught. Um, I, I, I forget who was in the end zone, but he was rolling to his right. Oh, was Anthony Miller. Was, yeah. Pitch, yeah. Threw it yeah. down into the end zone, and it was it glanced off the receiver's hands. But that's a difficult throw to drop in the end zone for that. And if that's caught, that's an that's an amazing throw. Um, you know, I, I I hesitate to say what potential there is for him in this offense so far because – we haven't seen much of a downfield passing game from the offense at all, even with Tyrod Taylor in yet. And I think they're being very reserved in that throughout the preseason. So, um, you know, it, it's hard to judge him in just one month. And, you know, we were talking about Deshaun Watson uh, a second ago, whenever he was here for his first month, like his first couple of practices were 
or he was struggling too. This is not uncommon for rookies, no matter what their caliber is. Yeah, no, I think I think so. There's there's a, probably a lot to you know. There's a lot to to like there. Um, as you said, that one to Anthony Miller at the back of the end zone, it just it was just inches inches overthrow, and there's a couple of inches. I think the fundamentals are there. I think it's probably just whether he can piece that together and continue to 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 grow. Um, and and if if he's if his numbers called at some point, then yeah, it might be sink or swim. And I I think the trouble is that there probably isn't enough snaps. There isn't enough padded practices. Um, after only having three preseason games to allow him to develop and get him into a position where he might be better than he is now, um, so you know he'll, he'll take mental reps, but we'll see with that. But I suppose the most probably the most important player or one of is is Tyrod Taylor um, on this offense. Um, they ran the ball better, um, and it looks like we're going to keep a whole host of running backs. We'll come on to the personnel decisions uh, from Nick in the front office there, but in terms of this offense, do you, do you think they're going to be able to achieve the identity they want in running the ball um, and, and being reasonably balanced, but uh, but a ground-heavy attack? Because until Tampa Bay, it didn't seem like they probably had that um, personnel. I know Marcus Cannon's come back today, which was a bit of a surprise, and he may well help in that. But do you think they can achieve the identity they want with Tyrod on uh, on offense to be competitive this season? You know, it's 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 probably the biggest question about this offense. Um, yeah. So David Culley, um, first time head coach, comes into this team. Last two years he's been um, with the Ravens, and that's the kind of run game he wants to have with the Texans. And I, you know, that's part of the reason why Mark Ingram is here. You know, played for the Ravens last two years, was a Pro Bowler in 2019. I mean, who wouldn't want the 2019 Ravens offense? If you look back at what they did, they were the first team in the NFL history to average 200 yards passing and 200 yards rushing per game. And that has a lot to do with what they were doing in the ground. Um, if you look at the way their offense was set up, uh, they carried four, three tight ends and a fullback. Um, and the way they ran their personnel on the offense, I watched a game the other day uh, just for reference and – a lot of times you're seeing multiple tight end sets, multiple uh, tight end sets with a fullback, um, you know, power runs, pulling tackles, pulling guards. There's the identity there uh, that if they keep hammering a defense with runs, it'll eventually open up things in the pass. You know, linebackers, uh, safeties coming in, eight players in the box, and then that opens up to spread open the field. And that's things Lamar Jackson was able to do very well because he could stretch a defense out just by um, extending a play by rolling out and such. And they have to account for him as yet another runner. Um, so seeing what the Texans did with either keeping a fullback or how they would arrange their tight ends was going to be really interesting. And we got that answer today. They have three tight ends and they decided not to carry a fullback. So, I mean, that really kind of tells you this is not the Ravens. This is what the Texans are going to do. Um, one of the things that I know you guys have noticed over the years is that Tim Kelly, the offensive coordinator, loves to use tight ends in many different ways. Um, that's not going to change here this year. Um, there's just going to be an added part to that. Um, these tight ends are going to be expected to play fullback in certain situations. You look at a guy like Pharaoh Brown, uh, who last year was uh, – uh, you know, a red zone threat and played along with Jordan Akins. He's got the size that can be a blocker in an eye formation or a pistol set where you use a fullback. And the things that I think will be creative about this team is if they're able to establish the run, 
you've got a tight end at fullback or that can help you out and maybe be a uh, give you more options as a receiver. Um, and that's not just in a given play. It's not. I'm not just saying like, like all right, so they're in a, an, an I formation set, and all of a sudden, you know, Farrell Brown's going to run a go route, and they're just going to throw a touchdown to him. It's more in the flow of a game. So if you're running an I formation, you've got them there as a play in a fullback, you can keep your same personnel on the field on the next play and then go five wide and you've got a receiver there in the slot and you don't have to change. So the defense has to keep itself there and you can be flexible and um, um, multiple in the way that the offense is running. To, to go to your question, uh, you know, it all that depends on whether the run game can be good. We didn't see that against until like one drive against the Buccaneers on Saturday. Most of their starters, Ingram, David Johnson, um, you know, Philip Lindsay, these guys were only averaging around three yards a carry. That's just not going to cut it. Um, and it's not enough of a threat to open up the pass game. Um, so they definitely have to get that going. Um, yeah, and this is a, the AFC South is a division where there's some strong defenses and they're going to play other strong defenses throughout the year um, that are going to look to stop their run. And that's something that you struggled at mightily last year. They were second to last in run yards per game, I believe. Um, and that has to change. Um, the offensive line is interesting. Uh, Cully has talked a lot about challenging them. Although I do think, uh, you know, the running backs have a definite part of this. Um, the push wasn't necessarily there the first couple of games. Um, the offensive line here, um, you know, has gone through some changes. So Titus Howard, a former first-round pick, was playing right tackle the last two years. Now he's at left guard. Um, he's looked good there. Um, you know, the push there is, uh, you know, they, they like his size and what he's able to do. Um, there and then Max Sharping is at right guard. Uh, the person that was seemingly going to help them out at the guard position was Lane Taylor, who had started yeah. for the Packers whenever he was healthy, but he's now scratched because he's not. Uh, they cut him today. So that interior is going to be the biggest thing. Um, is Titus Howard going to progress as a guard? Uh, is Sharping going to take that next step? Uh, they signed Justin Britt, who uh, played center for the Seahawks and has played other spots there too. And he's looked good throughout the preseason in, in spots, but are they going to get that push? It's the biggest question of this offense. Yeah. And it's funny because you, you think of, we've almost made more changes perhaps than we necessarily needed to. And I think Charlie Hicks definitely improved with his athleticism, but I put out a clip today. There was a play where he ran the wrong way. Um, I think that was in the third quarter, second quarter. Um, you know, and I think he's still got a lot to develop. And I, th I think as well, when you've made the changes you have, when you've moved sharp from left to right guard, uh, when you've moved Titus from right tackle to left guard, um, you bring in a new centre. And I always blame Mike Devlin for this last year, continually flip-flopping from power to zone because you saw they ran two power plays back to back. Um, and then the, the big the big gain or the highlight reel that probably everybody's seen with David Johnson was more of a kind of inside zone concept. And you saw, you know, you saw Charlie Hick just get his body out enough and widen the angle to open up a, a gap for him to run through. So I, I, I always think when I watched that and when I watched it last year, it seemed like it was on unsustainable um, to to try and be proficient at both disciplines. I think it's quite a challenge, and particularly when you add all the changes into that, it may work for a couple of weeks. You know, you saw week one last year, David Johnson looked great. Um, 
and then it slowly faded um, and towards the end of the season he kind of picked up a little but it seemed like fool's gold so it, it's yeah. a strange it's a strange mishmash of changes I think to hope for the hope for huge production gains when you've made so many changes and some of them feel a little bit unnecessary yeah and you know with with, with all that you know you mentioned you know last year offensive line and um, I think the interesting thing here to think about some of the schemes that they're going to run. I mean, this is a team that will use some zone. Uh, we saw some zone run schemes in the preseason games. It's, I think, I think one of the, I think it'll, I think it will be a lot of pull, pulling guards, pulling tackles, yeah. pulling tight ends even throughout this. Uh, I think there'll be a lot more power focus. But I think the the main difference is when you bring in off the new offensive line coach James Campen. Uh, he spent most of his career as an offensive line coach with the Green Bay Packers. Uh, someone described it to me like this, the blocking concept is, um, you know, it's legal holding is what yeah. it was someone told me. Um, it's, it's basically, if you think about how college teams and even NFL teams have, 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 um, have taken advantage of certain NFL rules where, uh, such as the run run pass options games, you know, you, knowing that you can move offensive linemen down the field to make it look like run and all of a sudden it's a pass. Um, defenses have been ticked off by that in the past five years, but that's exploitation of a rule. Um, in the same way, there's some rules there within the blocking schemes where, you know, basically they offensive linemen, you'll see their hand placements as long as they're moving, um, as long as they're, driving and 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 and, and uh, you know consistent motion you'll see that they, they've got a little bit of a grip on their defensive line so you know there's there's parts of that um, but I think I think uh, you know focusing on blocking schemes and, and and some changes there are definitely one of the things uh, that Coley's looking for to get this run game going yeah, and it's it's surprised by but what was in Cannon comes back, and you hope that's going to make make a difference. Um, but I think yeah, I suppose he's he's got a lot of making up to do. So it's hard to see him probably starting week one. You think that's heck spot, and probably the line is set with Tunsil coming back and coming off the the COVID list. Um, this this week we'll come back onto some of the personnel decisions. But in terms of watching Brady um, run up and down the field twice, there uh, went up tempo. Picked the soft spot in the zones for about the third, well, the third game in a row under Lovey Smith. We, we're starting to see that the linebacker depth versus the safety depth um, when they're playing off coverage zone, um, they seem to, you know, the seam route is there to be exploited, and it's happened in every game so far. Um, there was obviously gave up a, you know, a, a run for the for the score um, for the second touchdown there that was easy, um, and again people got bad pursuit angles, got caught inside. Do you think this defense, when it went and, and look, I mean, the top three receivers for um, the top three receivers there for for Tampa are, are probably you know the, the best three on paper in the league. But um, I thought the team got caught out, you know, and a guy like Desmond King was, was miles off Chris Godwin, you know, two or three yards of separation at times, and um, it made me concerned about the, the the passing defense. And I think we've talked about I've talked about that a lot of this offseason, Brooks. That, that you know, I, I think signing uh, Mitchell and Desmond King was a step in the right direction, but you've got Bradley Roby missing week one. Um, and I don't see for the life of me why Vernon Hargreaves is still on this team. Um, he's shown that in multiple games, including that that running touchdown. So is it right that we've got concerns about this defence, particularly in the passing defence? Um, and is, is it going to be enough to stand up? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned 
probably the biggest thing there was how open the seams were with yeah. Brady, and he exploited that time and time again. It's a common, uh, it's a common opening in the Tampa two defense where you've got this zone right in between, uh, you know, linebackers and safeties right up in that seam, and people who are accurate and can create, you know, the right kind of of, of look can can exploit that. Um, you know, this is a defense that's still learning a lot under its transition with Lovey Smith. And that was the first time that a defense had faced a starting quarterback all preseason. It just so happens to be the future Hall of Famer, Tom Brady. So he's yeah. going to show the problems within this. And, um, you know, how that develops is, is definitely a question. Um, you know, Bradley Roby is going to be sitting out that first week against Jacksonville. So, you know, you expect Vernon Hargraves to start in that position. So is that something that Jacksonville with its new number one overall pick, Trevor Lawrence at quarterback, try and exploit throughout the game? Um, you know, you, you know, a, a smart person would say yes, you know, looking at where things are. I mean, has the secondary improved with some of the additions it's made? I think one of the things uh, that'll be interesting to watch is where does Lonnie Johnson fit into the mix here? Um, you know, Eric Murray and Justin Reed are the starting safeties right now. And the thing is, you know, Justin Reed is a free safety who loves to react, hawk on the ball. He can, this defense expected to uh, force lots of turnovers. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're making an emphasis of that. His style of play is a lot similar to what Lonnie Johnson is trying to do as well. Do they, fit together, uh, playing side by side in the same scheme. I'm not sure. Uh, Eric Murray likes to play up um, in, 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 in the box. Uh, you know, how they play in coverage together is going to be interesting uh, for sure. Um, and, you know, we saw a limited basis of that, three drives from Brady. Uh, but if you start looking at the schedule, that's going to be pretty much the toughest quarterback that they're going to face. You've got Lawrence, um, you know, uh, Tennessee with Ryan Tannehill. He's going to be out for a little while with COVID. What's he going to be like when he gets back? You know, there's very few playoff quarterbacks that they're going to see throughout the year. Um, I wouldn't the, – the thing that is probably the most concerning is does this run defense get any better? Um, you know, that's, that's part of the things that I've been looking at is – that was their entire struggle last year. They ranked last in stopping the run. Um, and they've made a lot of changes on the defensive line to do that. And I, and I think how the defensive line plays against these quarterbacks, whether they're able to get pressure is going to help a lot of the secondary issues. Um, you know, we saw a lot of that in the preseason against backups, you know, in reserves guys like Malik Collins in the middle who are getting, upfield and creating pressure. Charles Amena, who was getting several sacks, you know, they didn't do that against Brady whenever he was in the first three drives. So if, if, if he can, any, if you give any quarterback enough time to sit back there and decide what they want to do, they're going to find those kind of throws that are up the seam. That takes time to develop. Um, and that's part of the reason why it's designed that way is if you can get pressure there, then that's not going to be an issue. So, um, you know, whether all those things work in tandem together is going to be the real question within the Texans' defense this year. The guys up front, I think, probably the most improved section of this team, I think, by 
by some stretch. Um, but I suppose, yeah, agree. yeah, but I suppose all we've seen up to this point is is guys beating backups and going against second, third tier guys that might not even be well, well, will have been released today. Um, so I, I think that that's the that's the, the struggle, and I think can you consistently get pressure with only four men up front? And I, I don't think they will. And I think they'll have to bring another guy. So you're asking more on the back end, and you're going to take you know take a safety out more than not. I think so. Um, there's some you know concerns at the linebacker play in terms of pass coverage. So um, we, it just I think it's probably just a an, a point to note that I mean that's about as good as it gets, and it's about as proficient. All 22 years experience, not exactly the the player and the and the and the spot to go after, but it's it's there to be exploited against the the upper echelons. And we play Justin Herbert, whoever suits up for San Francisco, and you know there'll be a couple, of, you know, there'll be you know Sam Bradford as well in there. So you know there's going to be guys who are going to be able to do the exact same thing. Um, to us, but it will it will be a test of time. Um, just quickly, it's not not the most uh, attractive topics, but I think it is worth a note of the Frank Ross and the job he's done on special teams. A couple of blocked, uh, well, blocked field goal uh, twice or an extra point and a field goal on Saturday. Um, consistently returning the ball well, seemed to be well set up in terms of um, blocking lanes, etc. Um, we've not always been used to that. Um, in Houston, but I think it could be a, an underrated facet of this team because I suppose special teams and turnovers on defence are two things that can keep you in games that you've got no right to be in. Um, so I think they're kind of two positives. I don't know how sustainable they are, but what, what have you thought of Frank Ross and and the uh, and the job he's done getting this, these guys ready for, for 21? With the additions they've made, I think it's unquestionably the best unit on the team. Offense, defence, special teams, Texans' best at special teams. And... Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, in a year that they're expected to struggle, I guess you guys are going to have to, you know, take your, um, you know, be be satisfied and watching good special teams play and let yeah. that take over for the year. Um, but, I, you know, one of the things you could see it in the additions they made. First off, you know, like their punter, Cameron Johnston. Might be the guys best player in the team. Picks, man. I mean, 61-yard yeah. punts and averaging, I think, in the mid-50s right now. And not just that. I mean, remember against Tampa Bay, he, he pinned one of, like, the three. Yeah. And, I mean, that's that's going to be huge for the team if down the line and he remains to be a part of the team. Um, field position's huge um, in that. Um, and, you know, he's a former uh, Aussie Rules football player. He's been in the league for a little bit now. Um, you know, he's, he's got a hold of how to, you know, stop that ball within, within the 10. Um, the other thing about this team too, that they added, they added Andre Roberts. They've never had a kick returner of his caliber. I mean, he's been in the league for 12 years for a reason. You know, you, teams don't generally hold a spot open for you. Uh, if you're just going to be a kick return specialist, unless you're really, really good. And that's what he's been. He's been an all pro before he's been a pro bowler before, um, you know, the Texans have had guys like Jerome Mathis and J.J. Moses who's, who've done well um, in kick returning, but not to the sustainability that the Texans, I think, are going for here. Um, does Andre Roberts do that? We haven't got a chance to see him yet. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, hasn't hasn't played in any of the three preseason games they had. He was dealing with an injury. Um, but Desmond King has been returning punts in his place, and he, you know, he had that 63, I think 43-yard punt return against the Packers looked good. Again, this is reserve units and, you know, the preseason. But, you know, how how is this return game going to look? Um, it, I think that's one of the big questions. And, you know, is Roberts worth 
the roster spot that they gave him. We're going to see that in game one. Um, you know, the, I mean, the biggest thing anybody ever notices with special teams is, you know, the kicker and whether he can be consistent. Is Kaimi Fairbairn going to take that step to be the kicker that he was signed to be? I mean, the contract that was given to him, you know, it's, it's a lot for a kicker. Um, and he's made his field goals throughout the year. I mean, the preseason so far, um, you know, is he going to maintain that consistency? Um, you know, he didn't uh, kick against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because he pulled a muscle um, before and during warmups. And he's expected to be back by week one. Um, but the overwhelming um, majority of this special teams unit is going to improve. Fairbairn's, I think, the only question right now going into this season, and that may just be the biggest part of the special teams. So how, do, how does he perform? Um, you know, that's going to be a big question. But, you know, the other thing is with this team, we're talking about field goals and such. Uh, with a team with as little room for error, I think, David Coley understands this, and he's talked about this to us before about fourth downs and such. Whenever it becomes like a fourth and short and they're in enemy territory, they're probably going to go for it. I don't know how much Fairburn will be a factor in such of the, some of these things because they're going to try and get these touchdowns where they can because they are expected to be uh, a struggling team. They are the underdog in these things. So um, I, I feel like we'll see more aggression out of the offense this year. Yeah, no, definitely. I think they will have to go for it. They'll have to eke out, and I think it's especially if that pass defense is there to be, is there to be attacked, and you know they, they could, you know, potentially project a golf of you know seven to fourteen, maybe even twenty-one points a game, and you've got an offense like that long drive that we saw 10, 12 plays, um, you know, taking four or five minutes off the clock every time you get the ball. You know, they're not going to be able to score all that quickly. Um, or not, not have that extra gear that some teams might have, or or some uh, some or the gear that you'll give other teams by not being great on the back end. So um, it's yeah, they're going to have to they're going to have to be efficient as possible, I think, and it probably starts with with the guys up front. But um, in terms of the moves and that we've made, so um, on Sunday or Monday night, um, can't remember now, but Shaq Lawson was traded, uh, which I think a lot of people right from the get go kind of said this isn't going to work out. Ironically, Bernard McKinney's released the day after um, in Miami. Um, it's a trade that hasn't worked out, but I suppose, uh, is it reasonable to question Casario's trades to this point? Um, there's been a few, um, and none particularly have seen any payoff yet as we stand today. Right. Um, I think I think it's still a little early here uh, with Casario because, I mean, if you look at it this way, um, I mean, I think when you bring in Shaq Lawson, um, you're getting a look at a guy for relatively um, minor cost. I mean, the, the the cap hits and such are things that are going to work around in the future. And, you know, you, you traded him for an asset in Bernardrick McKinney, who was a 3-4 inside linebacker who was going to get cut anyway. So you, you take a financial, a moderate financial hit to take a look at a guy that whenever they traded for him, he seemed like he was going to be their best pass rusher. It just didn't pan out the way that it looked coming out of that. So, I mean, that is going to be a, a knock on Casario uh, right now. Um, but as these things continue, like we, we saw a, a couple of trades brought in, um, you know, another cornerback that eventually got cut today, um, traded a, you know, seventh rounder for him, you know, and the trades that they're 
you know, basically the, the, most of the trades have been sixth, seventh round picks that we've seen from Casario just to build de- depth or create competition in certain uh, sets. So there hasn't been the big uh, trade yet that I think defined general managers yet from him. Um, but it's the small ones that I think, and I was talking to someone about this the other day is like, you know, one of the things from the Patriots that he was learning was like, you know, they, they like to create competition, not that general managers don't, but if you look at a lot of the moves that he's made, it's in situations of depth, like defensive line, like cornerback, like those places where, you know, there were, um, you know, some people on the fringe about what were they going to decide, were they going to keep guys or not? And by bringing in new guys, you get a better look out of the ones you already have as well. So, um, you know, Shaq Lawson's a big name, was a first-round pick before and didn't end up being the pass rusher he was. But they got to look at a guy for a pretty relatively cheap price and by giving away a guy that ended up getting cut by the Dolphins too in McKinney. So, uh, you know, you know, we'll, we'll see for, for several more years. I don't think Casario is going to go anywhere after the team struggles this year um it's expected to happen this is a full rebuild yep. so um you know we'll, we'll get a chance to see some of the bigger moves that he makes and I, I expect that not to be a quiet year uh when there are a lot of players on this team who probably won't be here a year or two from now yeah well that's right i think there is 20 something players um 23 players here that are on one-year deals um on as defense, the, yeah. yeah yeah so as the 53 is set today um kind of 52 when you've got Deshaun kind of sulking in the background but um obviously this is going to be so fluid like you said I think there'll be waiver wire pickups there's a couple of spots here they look kind of short at but if you look at the defense in isolation I suppose the the three that I got wrong um that I put my prediction out this morning was uh, Julio Johnson didn't see that coming um I actually had Jordan Jenkins not on the team and then I saw he was in front of the media today so I instantly knew I got that wrong yeah. um so I I thought Jordan Jenkins just some of the table watch I don't think he sets the edge particularly well and I think that's just a concern and I thought that might count against him um I thought Grenard would maybe have gone on to IR or or the P or the IR yeah because you can do three weeks this year um and Kadar Holman yeah I thought when you trade for a guy um you give up a, a late pick albeit um loose change I suppose but uh yeah I wasn't they were the three that I got wrong and then I suppose with AG Moore coming in didn't see that um and then the uh and the one was Neville Hewitt I thought he's, he looked a bit short in pass coverage so between Hewitt Jenkins uh, well sorry between Johnson Hewitt and uh, and Holman what do you think was the biggest surprise there or did you kind of see them them coming well, you know, the, one of the ones that I didn't see coming was Kika QT. I mean, yeah. him getting released was was huge. I mean, they, that's that's been one of their big slot receivers for now, and I guess they feel good in Anthony Miller, but he's yeah. got a shoulder separation, so shoulder dislocation hasn't been in any of these preseason games. Do they feel confident that he's going to be healthy throughout the year? I mean, they're only carrying five wide receivers right now. Yeah, it looks and like they've got five yeah. running backs. Um, <laughs> I mean, I didn't. I thought that for sure that when you had Mark Ingram. David Johnson, uh, Philip Lindsay, who all started in places previously, and David Johnson also obviously the center of a major trade that uh, changed the f- focus of the franchise here. Uh, and then you signed, they signed Rex Burkhead. Um, it didn't seem like all four of them were going to make it. Um, whenever you looked at the rest of the roster, a lot of the talk was which out of those four was going to be the short straw. Well, now they have five. It's Scotty Phillips. 
So, you know, they really are going to run the ball. Um, but I, I do think when you think of Bradley Roby being on the um, uh, – he's going to be suspended for that first game after the PED suspension last year. He's going to serve the final of a sixth game. I think Scotty Phillips is probably going to be the one that gets moved to the practice squad afterward. Um, but, you know, you, you mentioned some of those guys, defensive line. You know, I thought Jenkins, did he show everything uh, that acquiring him um, – you know, as a pass rusher, setting the edge, those kinds of things, not not quite in the preseason. But this is going to be a major level of depth. There's 10 defensive linemen on the roster right now for the Texans. And Lovey Smith has talked about this time and again. They need a rotation. Um, they need to be deep there. And I think, uh, you know, as the season goes on, they still want to have as many options there as possible because, I mean, we talked about its influence on the secondary. They need to have guys that might be able to, step out throughout the year. And I think Jenkins is someone who still has a relatively high ceiling in this defense. Um, but out of the players that I was looking at who got cut today, most of them were, um, you know, pretty expected other than QT. But also Paul Questenberry getting uh, cut, the fullback that was on the team, that was going to tell me a lot about how this went. We already talked about that earlier in the show. So, um, you know, out of those, those are the ones that were most surprising to me. Yeah, Kiki, I suppose I, it's a strange one in, in some ways, but when you saw him play in the fourth quarter um, of a couple of preseason games, the writing is on the wall, inevitably, I think, in, in those kind of situations. Um, but you've only gone with one slot receiver. Of the five, Andrew Roberts is one. So I think it's probably unquestionable that they will make a move at that spot. I saw uh, yeah. Smokey Brown's been released by the Raiders and other the Texans were were in the bidding process and free agency for him. Um, and he's somebody, a skill set they probably don't have right now in terms of speed to stretch the field, keep safeties honest and try and, you know, balance, balance out your passing attack a little. Because we don't really have a, you know, we do have Brandon Cooks, but he, he's probably not quite this, this sort of true burner field stretcher that he was. So, you know, I think there's definitely a move to be made there. And I, I, I had a theory when I saw that, Brooks, I think that, and it never quite materialised last year, but it was talked about when they signed, when they, well, they, they traded from an ill-fated trade right enough. But but um, but the route running of David Johnson, you've not seen him run the ball a huge amount. Do you think you could see him lining up in the slot, you know, quite regularly um, at the start of the season to, to give you an option there, considering you've only got Anthony Miller, who might not even be, be fit to go week one? Well, I do think he'll be definitely used in the passing game a lot. Um in the limited time that we saw in the preseason, he seemed to be in a third down back role. Um, but having Rex Burkhead on the team too, that was kind of his role with the Patriots and yeah. others that he's been with before. So where does Johnson fit in this? It's a good question. Um, I think even never since David Johnson got traded here uh, in Houston, that fitting him into this offense has been um, a question, um, especially whenever they're trying to power run. Um, I, I think mostly it's, I think he's mostly going to be used as a depth running back here. Um, there, there is obviously an emphasis in running the ball. Um, Ingram, Lindsay, and I think Johnson's pretty much had the best preseason. Uh, he's he's had the longest run among, among them. Uh, Ingram seems to be like he's going to be the every down back who can take a couple of hits as he continues to go. Um, we saw him do that in the preseason games where uh, I think it was a 10-play drive against the Buccaneers and he had most of those and they were either three or four yards and he was just plowing right up the middle. I think that's probably where David Johnson fits into this is coming into those third down situations and being a guy who can run in a stretch zone situation, Lindsay too. 
Um, but, you know, um, you mentioned Brandon Cooks there. I think he still has some deep threat potential. Um, the thing about the wide receivers that I think is interesting when you look at the group, they're all trees, you know, 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, they definitely looked for size when it came to acquiring these guys, getting Chris Conley, who um, came from Jacksonville, was a number two option for them for a couple of years, 240, uh, 240 catch seasons for him. Um, they're looking for mismatches. Um, and I think a lot of this is going to be playing out in a downfield passing game that we have not yet seen. Um, Nico Collins going for him, uh, another large receiver out of Michigan who has some upside. Um, I think he would have been drafted higher if he had played last year instead of opting out with Michigan with concerns over the coronavirus. Um, but, uh, you know, these though those size advantages, if they can find them, um, are going to reveal to me and us a little bit about what this downfield passing option can be. Um, David Culley's talked about how Tyrod Taylor succeeded at that when he was in Buffalo um, several years ago. Um, and he indeed was one of the best pa downfield passers uh, while he was with the Bills in, in Greg Roman's system. Greg Roman, offensive coordinator at the time, linked up with uh, the the uh, Ravens and that's where Coley saw a lot of this run game pass game that he wants to implement with the Texans. I think um, a lot of that will have influence on what they run here. Um, so I look at the bodies at wide receiver and I think they're really going to try and push the ball in, in certain spaces. Um, and, all, and again, goes to that run game. So where does David Johnson fit? I think it's mostly in the run game. I don't think we'll see him as much as a, a slot receiver, but you know, there are situations where, you know, they will, um, you know, put him out at receiver. Um, I'm not sure if that'll be his main main uh, role in this offense, though. Yeah, I I, I suppose when you well, so what I, I, it's vanilla right in the in the preseason, um, but we probably have seen a lot of the concepts and not a huge variation from the Bill O'Brien Tim Kelly learn playbook. And I always remember when they tried to mix in Tyler Irvin um, into that, and it and it never quite worked out. But I remember just watching them in Denver and 2016 and them trying to get Tyler Irvin and, and it actually was quite effective but again with O'Brien he used to flip flop out of, of stuff that was working for them but yeah and obviously he blew his knee on a return and he, he kind of he lost lost the season uh, Tyler Irvin when they took him out of San Diego State but I think he he was he's put you know that was a potential role they carved out and even on that failed fourth down attempt actually um, it, David Johnson makes a great run right in the middle of the zone picks up the space well Tyrod's feet just get a little bit happy and he gets flushed out and he ends up trying to like uh, turns into a scramble drill effectively and misses them in the end zone they turn over and downs but um yeah I think I think there might be a, a role there um for David Johnson that might not be running the ball as much as he has done in the past but it will be committee I think that's for sure whether all these guys will be here um you know people are potentially you know touting a return for Mark Ingram to to uh, to Baltimore with uh, J.K. Dobbins blowing his knee at the weekend, so you know I think there will be a lot to a lot to move. And the wide receiver position looks incomplete um, on paper, um, and you know one injury to that spot, just like cornerback. I think you're in a lot, you know, you're in a world of pain there right now. Um, but it's but there's certainly some 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 interesting moves I think there. Um, but yeah, keeping that many running backs, I don't think anybody saw that. But Scotty Phillips, I think, has been a guy who. Who deserved his chance, and he everything every time he's been on the field, he's done well. And I think at any position, 
it's the it's a young man's position as running back. So I would like to hope that we'd maybe look at one of those veteran guys to go um, when you need to make a move. But yeah, as you said, I think Kazeri will keep churning as he has done. Um, but as we sit sit here today, Brooks, we've got what 10, 11 days till the opener. Um, has your view changed of this team um, through the preseason process? Well, um, I'm not sure how much of it has changed because there are still so many questions that remain. So I arrived here with a lot of questions and out of training camp, we have same questions. Um, you know, I think some have been answered, like what will the roster look like? And that was the main one, but how effective will it be? That's still up for question here. Um, especially seeing it, seeing the defense struggle against Brady um, throughout the training camp, there were uh, feelings that the defense was going to take major strides. Uh, so, you know, where is that going to be? Um, you know, I still think this is going to be a team that struggles. There's a, you know, my just my read of David Cawley and, and seeing him day to day and some of the players and how they feel about him. This is not going to be a team, I think, that, um, you know, has trouble with consistency week to week. Um, you know, obviously, Everybody has confidence in the preseason. Um, you're, you haven't lost yet. You haven't lost multiple games in a row yet. You haven't had a big drought yet. So, you know, if that happens in the middle of the season, we'll see how that goes. And I think that's going to be the major challenge here with this team is whenever things start to go bad, will things be able to move in a positive direction for them? Are they going to be able to pull themselves out of ruts? Um, you know, this is going to be a team that's, probably going to struggle. So, you know, what, what do they do when those things happen? How, how many adjustments are there, the coaching staff and the players able to make? And are they just simply outmatched week to week? You know, can they find um, exploitative of uh, game plans for them to work in these things? Um, you know, it, and I'm not saying that this matters or should really have any play into it, but, you know, the NFL does their top 100 players every year. And the Texans, one player within that was their left tackle, Laramie Tunsil. So this is a team that lacks star power, um, offense, defense. Um, you know, it's what players surprise us, surprise me. Uh, you know, those are the questions that I want uh, that we'll see throughout the year. Is this a team that looks like it's going on the upward trend? Um, that's that's the storyline of this year is this is the rebuild. This is ground zero for Nick Casario um, in his first time as a general manager. Um, are they making the moves and making the, um, the the progression towards being a team that could put, you know, five or six more AFC South banners up there like there are behind me. So that's going to be the main uh, focus. And uh, for me, just seeing how they progress throughout the year. Yeah. And I suppose there's a, there's a, there's a, almost a trade. I thought this is the reset, and until the the Watson situation clears up, the rebuild then commences post that point. So, sure. um, yeah, there's I think there's a lot of a lot of kind of questions um, to be answered. And I suppose that's why you play the games, and that's why we'll kind of get ready each Sunday. Um, Brooks, before we head out here, you've been to Lambeau Field up at Jerry World last week. You were in our NRG. Have you got any spots on this year's calendar that you've got circled that you're particularly looking forward to? Um, or, or, and also, have you had a sort of welcome to the NFL moment yet in terms of covering this team? Is it 
been your expectations? Well, I've got a quick story. Uh, you can yeah. actually see it behind me. So this is where, you know, the re- re- and if you're just listening to it, I'll describe it too for you. Um, you know, it, there's, there's these seats here in the press box. And whenever I was in at the Beaumont Enterprise, this small paper in East Texas, back in 2016, I came to cover my first game. And uh, I went and met John McClain, who has been covering yep. Houston professional sports for 40 years. I grew up listening to him, reading him, all this. Um, to me, he was a legend um, and still is working for him is kind of surreal. But I walked over to him and I said, hey, I'm Brooks Kavina. I stuck my hand out. I, how's it going? I was like, oh, this is my first game. He says, this is your first game, huh? So yeah, he sticks his arm out, puts it over the field. And he's like, welcome to the NFL. And I was like, you know, now McLean says that I'm here. You know, that was the moment. <laughs> um, and now I'm, you know, through the interview process, he was, I told him that story and he's like, well, uh, I hope to be able to tell you that again. And he did whenever I arrived. And he's been joking with me because my first two road trips, you know, uh, when, where we take a plane, you know, I drove to Dallas. But the first one was Lambeau Field, which is incredible. I mean, that's Titletown. That's where, you know, Lombardi had built a, one of the best teams ever. And just, you know, that stadium middle you know, just drinking beer and eating cheese and whatever you know they they really are they're the nicest people ever yeah. um you know I, even the you know the uber drivers and everybody just the whole town was packer central and cared about it and were very kind to you anywhere you went whether you wanted some food whatever you wanted um you know that was awesome but um you know cleveland is going to be the first road trip of the regular season yeah. and i'm going to go down and john mcclain is was inducted into the hall of fame uh several years ago but he's got a bust in Canton that he's never seen and I'm going to go with him. Um, and you know, so the first two trips, John's like, you're, you're going to get to go to the pro football hall of fame. You're going to get the Lumbo field. And there are diehard NFL fans who would kill to go do that. And they've never been able to do that in their life. So I'm pretty lucky to get the, yeah. the first couple of trips there on that. Um, but Miami is always fun. Buffalo is going to be cool. Cause I've never been there and I want to go see Niagara falls in my spare time out there. They play San Francisco, I mean, look, I'm coming from covering the SEC where it was like, hey, let's go to, you know, uh, Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and you're just driving through, and there ain't nothing between yeah. Baton Rouge and there. So covering the NFL, the road trips, a little better, a little yeah. better. Yeah, I've always always maintained that. The best bit or the most fun I've ever had watching this team has been in the road games because um, you end up in places and end up in bars talking to people you would never have been there oh, yeah. a million years otherwise. So. That was Buffalo was the one that intended to go this year, um, but the uh, CDC uh, guidelines are not letting any any travel yet. So watching it every day, and then the you know the backup plans probably Miami. Uh, we've got some friends that live there, so so yeah, it would be good to good to get to a game. Um, but before we go, you did say you were going to give your uncle uh, in London a plug. I, I take it uh, we see at the London game. It was a very strange experience. It was a very kind of odd day to see as many people uh not in not in Houston uh wearing wearing the colors and wearing the jersey things like that it's kind of strange but um it was an experience and it probably all kind of gone downhill actually ironically from that day onwards really <laughs> it's never quite been the same but you got an uncle you said Brooks in um in London yeah yeah his name is Blake Cabina I just want to give him a shout out hey yeah. what's up Blake um I want to come out and visit I'm actually thinking about um uh, flying out there next year whenever 
uh, hopefully things open up more and more. Um, uh, so he's actually, he's actually an actor. He's in a, a play that's going to come up called Jekyll and Hyde. So if you're in the right. London area and want right. to see some theater there, you know, he's, I'll vouch for him. It's a good show, but mm-hmm. I wanted to, I wanted to tell him hello. And, um, you know, I love traveling and I love, uh, um, it makes, I'm very happy to be, um, you know, invited to be on this podcast because, uh, you know, football is, is, is such an interesting sport and reaches far places. And when I was at Baton Rouge, I wrote a story about how it, how, how, uh, how much the game has progressed in Sweden. So like, yeah. this is, this is, this is a game that's becoming uh, global. And I mean, you guys have seen NFL games in London too. So, you know, out there. Um, so I'm, uh, I'm interested to see where, where that goes. Do, does a team eventually go out there? I mean, that's always been a question for years. So yeah. um, we'll see. Yeah, I, I don't think it's, just, it's probably sustainable. But what 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 would be probably a, a development league? And obviously, Kurt Warner is the biggest example of that. Is having a developmental league um, between European cities, particularly Germany. And it seemed like the Texans were all set to play in Germany. Uh, Deshaun was on adverts and posters all over there, so that's probably uh, hit the, probably hit the tracks a bit. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's um, we've had some amazing people over. You know, just we did some fan round tables over the over the off season, all different countries, uh, people coming in. But um, but it's all people like yourself, Brooks. The hospitality, the time uh, that everybody gives us every week. Um, very humbled that you can come and talk. Some uh, this team that certainly keeps it interesting um, for us, um, and it's about to get a little bit more interested in the true sense because we're about to have some games. So, Brooks, thank you very much for your time, mate. Much appreciated. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Anytime. Yeah, no worries. Well, that was Bruce Cabina from the Houston Chronicle. We'll be back next week in a limbo week with without the fourth preseason game to talk a little more Texans football as we get ready for week one in Jacksonville. If you haven't already, check out the articles on podcasttexans.com and we'll be back again next week. 